welcome to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast with co-founders and hosts, Tracy Callahan and Deborah Doak. Each week, we tackle another tough topic to help professional divorce coaches maximize client impact and cultivate thriving practices. We also want to spread the word about the expertise and value that certified divorce coaches bring to the table. At DCA, we are committed to ongoing learning and we value generosity among divorce coaching professionals. We believe that when one succeeds, we all succeed. Welcome back to the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. I'm Deborah. I'm here with Tracy today. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, well, I'm here with you all the time, not just today. You are. We're actually <laughs> together quite a bit. We we might not be together physically, but uh, virtually we spend a significant amount of time together. Probably I spend more time with you than I do with anybody else in my life. Yes, you're my virtual wife. Yes. <laughs> Tracy and I are in a, in a complicated relationship. That's our Facebook status. <laughs> All right. So here's what we're going to talk about today. I um, I attended an ABA event a couple of weeks ago where one of our colleagues, Andrea Hips, heart, heart, you can't see yes, us, but heart, I'm making, I'm heart. making hearts. Me um, too. She presented to members of the dispute resolution committee of the ABA, and she gave them all the scoop about how certified divorce coaches help them get better client results. Mm-hmm. Now we knew she would, and she did do a really fantastic job. Yay. But one thing that kind of stuck with me from her talk was when she said this, she said, I haven't gone to work if someone hasn't told me they're divorcing a narcissist. Yeah. Yep. And all the lawyers and the mediators and the coaches (laughs) on the call laughed hysterically. But honestly, it's because we know it's kind of a false laugh. What what happens is we know that label is getting in the way of our clients being able to navigate their divorce in the most effective way. So mm-hmm. you may be familiar with clinical psychologist and expert in narcissistic relationships, Dr. Romani. Yes. She just published a new book titled, It's Not You, Identifying and Healing from Narcissistic People. And just to highlight how popular the topic of narcissism is right now, did you know that her book became an instant bestseller on Amazon before it was even released? There were so many pre-orders. What does she that has, say? <laughs> I know. She has more than 1.6 million YouTube subscribers who faithfully watch her videos on narcissism. And as someone who specializes in betrayal trauma and helping women prepare to exit toxic or dysfunctional relationships, there is a trap I see them caught in. And that's what we're talking about today, the trap. The trap. There is a trap. Yeah. And it's spending more time and energy trying to figure out why their partner behaves the way they do and not enough time and energy focused on how they can insulate themselves and find some peace. Yeah. Um, There's a meme I see pop up a lot on social media that goes like this, and I'm sure you've seen it. I just wanted a soulmate, not a PhD in personality disorders. (laughs) Yep. Seen it (laughs) a lot. So that says a ton about how much effort some individuals are putting into trying to understand the why. 
Okay. Right. So clients often seem to be obsessed, obsessed with questions such as, are narcissists born that way? Is it caused by childhood trauma? Then they change. What kind of therapy will help them? Do they know what they're doing? Why don't they want to? Why can't they just? How could they? And on and on and on. Right. But when it comes to divorce, co parenting, and conflict, understanding the why, meaning the why of that person, doesn't provide the tools or strategies clients need to navigate dealing with these individuals. Instead, it can create mindsets that keep them stuck or even complicate the process. Shifting roles from being someone's spouse to being their ex is a complicated journey for most of us. Not only are our clients legally divorcing their spouse, but they also must go through the process of emotionally divorcing their spouse. And that's where some of this over analysis originates, right? Yeah, it's almost emotional divorce is we underestimate that process a lot. Yeah. And it's almost like being caught in the problem cycle. Yeah. Right. Except for they're doing it with this individual. Right. They're defining and redefining, reconstructing, and then appropriating blame. Yeah. Okay. So this shows up in a variety of different ways. So let's talk about a a few of them, right? One is this dehumanize, right? Using a label to describe a person allows us to dehumanize them. And when we take away someone's humanity, we not only fail to have empathy for them, we can justify all kinds of behavior. Mm-hmm. All kinds. Yep. Yeah. The, the other one is discrediting, right? And describing a spouse or ex as a narcissist provides opportunity for us to gain support while at the same time discrediting the other person. It sets this scenario up as I'm good and they're bad dynamic. Yeah. Again, appropriating blame. Then we have the police savior warden, right? This often happens. There's an amazing book. It was many years ago. I think it was actually in the seventies written and it's called Becoming an Ex, right? And it's this phenomena When people become an ex, right, an ex-smoker, an ex-nun, that there's almost this sort of, I'm the warden, the police, the savior. I'm going to go and change everybody else's life because I know better now, right? And I'm going to save you from yourself because I know. And we see that a lot in some of these narcissistic support groups, right? Yeah. Everybody is jumping on this bandwagon and they're going to tell them what they know because what they learned from divorcing a narcissist. Yep. Right. And they're, they're, they're going to save everybody. They're going to be the ward and they're going to tell people what they need to do, which then keeps people caught in this trap. Okay. And of course, helplessness, mm, helplessness, right? Focusing on the label of narcissism, reinforces the idea that something awful is happening to us and that we are helpless or powerless to do anything about it. 
because yeah. that big old bad narcissist just that's their that's what's happening and just victim mentality that helplessness self helplessness place where it is that transference of power onto somebody else rather than owning and taking that power for themselves right right and it's not that narcissists don't exist in the world but yeah. it isn't possible that everyone is divorcing a narcissist. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here? You know, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah. Evil, manipulative, and power-hungry people exist in the world, for sure. Yeah, but, I actually know quite a few. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we also know that divorce brings out the worst in humanity. We often say that we see good people on their worst days, yeah. right? Yeah. I was listening to an episode of the psychology podcast and cognitive psychologist Scott Barry Kaufman said this, and I'm going to read this long quote because I didn't want to cut it up because it just says it so well. He says, I take a very Maslowian approach to a lot of this stuff. We should acknowledge that esteem needs are a basic need of humans. And if we're not getting those needs met, we could turn into jerks. All of us have the potential for that. When we're in a relationship, we need to recognize that if we're getting upset that our esteem needs aren't being met, there's a good chance the other person is upset that their esteem needs aren't being met too. So you have two people who think each other are narcissists when both people are just not getting a basic fundamental human need satisfied. Okay. Yeah. So we talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and our teaching and our training, because when we aren't getting our needs met, hmm, mm-hmm. bad, we behave badly, right? Isn't, it's true. We can all turn into selfish, cranky toddlers when yeah. we aren't getting our needs met, when we aren't getting what we want. And it doesn't make us evil. doesn't make us narcissists. It makes us human. Yes. But you know, nonetheless, label or no label, what our clients have is a toddler in the middle of a meltdown that they have to negotiate and make decisions with. Mm-hmm. And that, as any parent knows, <laughs> is difficult. It can be an exercise in frustration, trying to have a conversation that's productive at all with someone in the middle of a temper tantrum. Yes. Petulant yeah. child. Yeah. Now, we're not trying to discount or minimize the fact that some people are truly trying to exit really psychologically abusive relationships. But Absolutely we are not. bringing in the fact that the label isn't always helpful. And sometimes decent humans behave badly when they're under stress. Right. And it also is so tied to our mindset and perspective. Right. right? So I, I had a client just recently share with me, she was describing this ex who is now a co-parent as a predator. In her mindset, this individual who she engaged in somewhat of an abusive relationship while they were married was coming for her. The behavior that was being demonstrated was getting this huge spotlight. When we talked about it, we moved this idea of predator, as we just talked about, toddler, to petulant child. 
And then the problems that were being presented were easier to address and manage versus those problems when it was a predator coming. So again, not discounting what happens in these psychologically abusive relationships, but also that our clients can have a role in this, right? And how they're receiving that information. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so what do we do with that? Mm. You know, well, in January, we held a networking event and we talked about Jessica Garza's TED Talk on emotional contagion, right? We, and we did a podcast on emotional contagion. We talked about her strategy that she calls, okay, so what, now what? And okay. mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it can be, pardon me, <laughs> really helpful to get clients out of this, I'm going to call it a rabbit hole of narcissism, right? This obsession of figuring out the why or what the chump lady would call untangling the skein of F-uppedness. I can't say the word because of our rating. Um, (laughs) But getting them out of the rabbit hole of narcissism, shifting the focus to peace, safety, and decision-making. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So step one, okay. What does okay look like in this context, Tracy? Yeah, this is getting just enough education awareness to acknowledge that we're dealing with somebody who doesn't currently have either the ability or desire to engage in a collaborative or productive manner, right? Right. So whether- They don't have the ability, they're a narcissist. Or desire. Or desire, they're a toddler. Exactly, petulant (laughs) child, right? So whether their partner is a full-blown narcissist or is just a jerk, or is a good person behaving badly out of fear or hurt, right? Maslonian. The fact is, is that what it is right now, it is what it is. We can use reflective listening, reality testing, and powerful, curious questioning to assist our client in accepting, accepting the reality of how their partner is showing up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is what They're, it is. There's nothing we can do about it. It is they, what it is. They are who they are right now. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the reason, whatever the reason. Okay. That's yeah. who they are. Right? That's who they are. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. okay. And then step two is so what? And so what? This part of the process is all about assessing impact. What if their partner doesn't change? doesn't agree or won't do the thing, whatever the thing is that they're looking for. Yep. The first step here is to ask the question, then what? This helps them explore potential outcomes and the effect those would have on them. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's look at an example. Tracy, let's say your client just returned from a mediation session and they proposed um, and every other weekend parenting schedule, mm-hmm. their spouse not only <laughs> said no, they insisted on equal time sharing. Could you imagine? Right yes. now, I know you, so I know you prepared them well for that mediation. So they did everything right. They explored interests. They used ear statements. They responded with curiosity rather than reacting emotionally. But despite every one of their best attempts, 
their partner is not agreeing to their suggested schedule. Huh. Yep. Proposal is rejected. Right? Da, da, da. All right. Yeah. So, so, na- so, so what? So what? Okay. So we need to, that next step is exploring potential outcomes. Okay. Evaluating, assessing. What would the impacts be if your client agreed to the equal time sharing? <laughs> I know that might be a mind-blowing concept, right? But what would be the impacts? What might the impacts be if they proposed an alternative plan that included additional time, but wasn't quite 50-50? And what if they refused and walked away from mediation? Mm-hmm. Our batness, right? Our batness and our watness here, okay? So asking questions to support them in considering financial implications, the effect on their stress levels and emotional well-being, how it might help or hurt the children, and and the impact on their future co-parenting relationship, right? So then what, right? What if, what if we got the okay, all right, we got the so what, which really is looking at the then what assessment, right? Which leads us beautifully into step three, mm-hmm. the now what, now the what, now what? Yeah. This is what do you want to do about it? What do you want to do about it? And what are you willing to do about it? (laughs) Yeah. That's the bigger question, right? So if you've worked through the first two steps, your client has relinquished control of the other person. They've evaluated all the potential impacts and they're now ready to begin to make informed, intentional decisions about how they want to move forward. Action. So what is within their control? What options are available to to them? What information do they need? How do the different options and outcomes align with their values and goals? So actions they might choose to take include learning more about their BATNA. And if you're not familiar with BATNA, it stands for Best Alternative to a Negotiated Agreement. Go back and listen to the podcast episode we did where we did a deep dive into that. Mm-hmm. It might include coming up with a counterproposal, setting effective boundaries, trying out new communication strategies. It might be taking legal action. It might be doing nothing. Did you know doing nothing is actually an action step, Deborah? It is. It's actually a de- <laughs> it's a decision. I am choosing not to respond. Choosing. I am choosing. choosing to do nothing. It's active. Yeah. It's active. Yes. As long as it's not done out of fear or avoidance, it can mm-hmm. be an active decision step. Absolutely. 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 So, so, so powerful. These three very simple concepts, right? Okay. And okay. So what? So what? Now what? Now what? And I have to tell you all, I use this a lot in my everyday life. (laughs) Okay. It is what it is. So what? What if this, what if this did happen? Yeah. And now what, what is within my control and what action am I willing to take? Yeah. Yeah. So powerful, right? So according to psychologists, the healthiest thing for our client's well-being is to get off the label train. Yeah, get off the label train. 
and take responsibility for their life, their actions. Because coaching is action-oriented and future-focused, it is our job to help them identify where they do have control, do have control, and what options are available to them. Assess the impact of those choices. Prioritize their personal peace. Focus on what they want the future to look like. And then, and then take actions and make decisions with intention. Okay. Yeah. Our our clients never know how their partner will show up in divorce and co-parenting, but they have 100% control over how they show up and how they engage in decision-making. When we can offer guidance and support so they can feel good about that aspect of their divorce, we, we set the stage for them to have a better outcome and a healthier post-divorce life. Right. Yeah. 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 We really need to think about that post-divorce life. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I love to talk so much about coaching being future focused because I mean, Susan Guthrie just posted on Instagram earlier this week again about she met somebody at a cocktail party who was telling all their horror stories about their divorce. And it turns out they were divorced 27 years ago. Yeah. We really want to, it's not that it isn't painful and it's not that it doesn't hurt, but it should not be baggage or a big heavy ball and chain that our clients carry with them for the rest of their life as some sort of shrapnel or damage. Yeah. And and although I really do applaud Dr. Romney's work, I do. I do. I do. It's really, really important. It's just helping our clients see that also the trap of that process, always seeking out the why, why their partner is this way, what happened, what do they do, labeling not just the individual, but all of the behaviors that they do, right? I can go into, we can talk about all of the narcissistic labeled behaviors that have been identified, right? Right. So the the question is how much education and awareness is enough? Well, and and it's- For you to make the decisions you need to make. Right. And it's why are we looking at the why behind why somebody is doing this, right? It's really the thinking about this. When we're putting all our energy into this trap of labeling and defining these behaviors, we are taking, our clients are taking that energy away from what they can do, how they show up, right? That intentional decision-making process. One of the responses that's pretty typical for me to have when when I have a client who's stuck in the trap of why, Mm -hmm. I don't understand how could he or she do this? Why would she or he or she do this? I've been known to say, aren't you kind of glad you don't understand that? (laughs) Aren't you kind of glad you can't wrap your mind around that? And I get this kind of puzzled look. If you could understand that, it would mean you're like them. The fact that you can't even comprehend it means you're not like that. So isn't that actually a gift? Yeah. 
that you are struggling, that you're that this why doesn't make sense to you. What if you just said, "Oh, thank God. I don't yeah. understand that. That isn't that isn't consistent at all with my character or my values." Yeah. So if you said, "Okay." So if you said, "Okay." <laughs> okay. They are. I'm not. Yeah. And we don't have to make that a value decision. I'm good, you're bad. We just said, "Okay." It is what it is. It is okay. what it is. All right, everyone. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We we could talk about narcissism all day long, uh, but hopefully you are working with your clients and moving away from some of these labels, right? So that we can actually do some work with our clients to get them to where they want to be. So we want to thank you so much for joining us and Hopefully you'll join us yet again for another lively topic in the professional practice of divorce coaching. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for the Divorce Coaches Academy podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. It helps other divorce professionals find us and add to the conversation. And don't forget to follow us on social media to be the first to know when we add new classes and events. We'll be back next week with another topic to help you maximize client impact, create a thriving business, and promote the value of professional divorce coaching.